Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Laura Miller. Laura is the Chief Information Officer of Macy's, a retailer that earns in excess of $25 billion in annual revenue. Laura has been in her role for more than two years and is responsible for enterprise data and analytics strategic direction for Macy's globally, as well as for strategy and execution of an organization-wide digital transformation. I look forward to hearing more about all of the above. Laura is a director of the board of EVO Payments and LGI Homes, and prior to her current role, Laura served as the Chief Information Officer of Intercontinental Hotels Group. Laura, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Uh, well, thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be doing this, and it's great to be with you again. I, I'm, it's, I always look forward to our conversations. You're nice to say that. Well, Laura, let's begin with an overview of your business. You work for an iconic retailer in Macy's, and therefore, uh, at least to some degree, I think almost anyone who's, who would be listening or watching uh uh, this would be familiar to some extent, but in your own words, talk a bit about where Macy's business is now and the business that you're in. Well, um, I, I love that you uh, recognize it as an iconic brand because that's the way I, I, I feel about it. And I hope all our customers do as well. Uh, we're getting ready for the 4th of July fireworks up in New York, which Macy's sponsors. And, you know, it's part of what I believe creates that brand love around Macy's between that and then the wonderful parade that we do and the, um, obviously all the fanfare that goes around that. So um, let me tell you a little bit about Macy's because a lot of people don't realize that Macy's Inc. actually has three nameplates. We have Macy's, we have Bloomingdale's, our luxury store, and we have Blue Mercury, which is our luxury uh, skincare products. And those three nameplates make up who we are. So we, we go the spectrum from um, Macy's Backstage, which is our um, low end, lower price point retail all the way through our luxury products. So, you know, it's a spectrum of customers and it's a spectrum of offerings that um, not only for a customer in a segment, but for our customers to cross those segments and to be able to meet the needs for that moment. And that's, I think, what also makes it really special. Um, you know, Macy's, we believe, is a place that you can own your style. So it is a place that you can find what you want to be who you are, which I think is a little unique in terms of just a feeling about what we are to our customers. And I find that really exciting. We're not trying to tell you what you should do in your fashion, um, but really trying to let you express it. So that's a really fun part of what we do and who we are. Um, you know, the other thing that I don't think a lot of people realize about Macy's is that we are one of the largest e-commerce retailers out there. You know, obviously you've got the, the, the big name in front of us, but um, in terms of fashion retail, we are one of the largest and a third of our business goes through our e-commerce site. So um, a really big e-commerce digital presence for a company that's historically been known as in a brick and mortar business. Um, you know, the other thing that I love being a part of Macy's um, is really about the stories I hear. So I, we've got colleagues here who have been here 30 and 40 years, which is, you know, kind of surprising in and of itself. But that does speak to the great culture of Macy's. But what also is fun about it is to hear the multi-generations. I remember when I first joined, um, my father is telling me how his grandmother used to work in a tailor shop in a Macy's store in New York. And, you know, I hear from so many colleagues that either their, their parents or their grandparents are part of our legacy and our history. And, you know, it feels really special to be in a role in a company that's this iconic. 
That's fantastic. What a great overview for that as well. Could you provide an overview of your role as Chief Information Officer? What's within your purview there? Sure. Um, I have a really fun and exciting job here at Macy's because I get to run all the tech. But on top of that, I also get to help with all of our data and analytics, and I lead that space as well. Um, and from tech, it covers the gambit. So everything from in our stores, all the technology that either our customers would use or our colleagues would use. Uh, it covers all of our supply chain technology. So anything that's running our warehouses, um, our shipping software, our software, our warehouse management software that moves the um, the uh, packages and the products across the floor into the, the packing and shipping. Um, also then obviously all of our e-commerce as well as what has been a growing um, maturity for us is our data and analytics. And that's been uh, a, a process. I mean, we didn't start out as a data and analytics first company and it's been a journey that we've been going through in the last two years and making great progress in that space as well. Um, so it's really, it goes everywhere from anything digitally that touches our customer to anything that digitally that touches um, our colleagues and uh, all the stuff that runs all the equipment in between. And you mentioned in your own introduction of Macy's that, of course, there's the Macy's brand itself, Bloomingdale's, Blue Mercury. You talked about the e-commerce and a third of revenue flowing through uh, digital channels. Talk a bit about how you organize technology, uh, uh, how it aligns to the different parts of the organization, how it gets involved in e-commerce. Can you share a bit about that, please? Absolutely. You know, when I when I joined here, um, I took a look at the organization and we did do some realignment because I, I really, when I was looking at it, I said, we really need to align to our business partners, but even more importantly, we need to align to our customers' needs. And so the first thing I did is I reorganized around a customer experience group. And so this part of the organization completely focuses on our customer experience, whether it's in our call centers, in our stores, or digitally. And what that's brought to the organization is really a, a ability to reuse a lot of the technology. So when you think about a call center that's helping to do sales, it's not much different than a colleague in the store or a digital experience. And so starting to get that alignment and the reuse in the technology has brought um, some synergies and some efficiencies in that space and made us able to better serve our customers there. So that was one piece of it where we centralized those functions. Um, the second part that I reorganized a bit is we used to have two towers, one for our supply chain and one for our merchant world. What I realized through the course of, you know, about a year here is that that is one life cycle. The product starts from the merchant and it goes all the way to the point that we ship it or send it to a store. And what I was finding is that there was a lot of handoffs between the groups and, and the two groups were a little more siloed than I would have liked because they weren't cross-pollinating enough in terms of when something left the merchant and going into the supply chain, how did that, how do we make that more efficient? And so I combined those two groups as well. And so we have our supply chain and merchandising group together. And those are my two application development teams. Um, then I also have a platforms and enterprise architecture group, which really 
is the foundation between those two app dev teams and keeps in mind, you know, what are our, our architectural standards? What should we be thinking about from an enterprise standpoint? Our common services and our platforms are delivered there that the other two app dev teams use. Um, we have our standard infrastructure and uh, operations team, and they do the normal, you know, running our data centers, even our cloud data centers. Um, we've got uh, information security team. Now, our CISO is actually under our general counsel, so we keep the fox out of the hen house, but we do have all of our InfoSec operations within tech, and that's in the infer, inf infrastructure and operations team. Um, I have a equivalent of a office of the CIO, so that ha handles my agile, agile processes across the enterprise, metrics, um, our corporate systems, and anything that we're doing across all of tech. So whether it's process or communications or anything like that. Um, and then finally, I have the enterprise data and architecture team. And that's comprised of data governance, data engineering, a BI COE, as well as our um, AI and ML colleagues. Excellent, great overview. Thank you for that, Laura. And and would love to double click on the data element, something you mentioned in a couple of your answers already. So clearly, an area of great importance and mm -hmm. and a growing uh, a set of disciplines that that you're helping deliver to the organization and by extension to the customers of the organization as well. Talk a bit about that journey, if you would. Uh, it sounds like it's sort of uh, ongoing, uh, a, a, but I, I'd be interested in, in understanding more about that process, some of the steps you put in place in order to build maturity and, and your vision for it. Yeah, so the, the ultimate vision is how can we democratize our data? I want my end users to be able to get to the data that they need and get the insights that they need to be able to run their businesses. You know, whether it's forecasting demand or understanding where we need to place inventory or even just looking at trends in the economy so we can figure out how to forecast sales. Um, that, and I'd love for all of my business partners to be able to do that with their own business analysts and be able to self-serve themselves because we never want to be a bottleneck in the EDA team. But the reality is, is, you know, we've we've grown up like many companies through acquisitions and old systems, and there's a lot of tech debt and there's a lot of data sprawl across our environment. And so it's really a journey around how do you set out the roadmap, figuring out what adds the most business value so that we can get our data in a good state and getting the most important data out there first. So we've focused on the 360 view of the customer and getting that into a good place and into the cloud so our, our business partners can access that. And then we focused on our sales data and getting all of that in a good place and um, accessible so that each business unit can get that different view of the sales data that they need. Um, what's been a more interesting journey is really around the data scientist piece with when you start thinking about AI and ML. And, you know, we've been doing this for a while and in little pockets, but how do we start leveraging it more to bring additional business value to the company? Um, what I think has been the most interesting part about the journey is helping people to see the art of the possible. Uh, you've got, I've got a 
brilliant team of data scientists. And, and I, I joke about this and she does as well. The leader of the data scientists group used to be a rocket scientist. You know, she came from NASA. She is a brilliant, brilliant data scientist. And she's got all these great ideas, but helping your business partners then understand that and see what that can do to add value to what they do every day. That's probably been the hardest part of the journey. And, you know, it takes a lot of storytelling. It takes a lot of willingness to go on a slow journey and find those those small wins to build trust and to start showing the value before you can start moving at speed. And so that's been a lot of the journey for us. And we're, we're really starting to hit our stride. And I think that's it's going to start showing up more and more. And especially with the acceleration into Gen AI and the maturity into the AI world in general. You know, Laura, as I think about your career, you, you work for a couple of spots now where you can be the customer, the direct customer of the uh, the, the services and products that, that your firm provides. You once worked for First Data Corporation, which is a key element, now part of Pfizer, but a key element of the financial services business where, where you were never their direct customer uh, necessarily, indirectly, of course, we all are. Uh, but with IHG and now, now also with Macy's, you and your team can interact with the, the business, if you will, the, the, the go into a store, experience things. And as, I wonder, as someone who now, as you've mentioned a couple different times, has developed this 360 degree view of the customer, thought further about customer experience and how to augment that, um, the value of being able to also be a customer, to walk in the shoes of so many others, um, how that helps you in that process and guides you at all, if, if that's in fact a, a way in which you think about things. Well, you know, it's funny, Peter, because when I was, um, after I'd retired from IHG, it, I was considering, you know, during COVID, would I take another role or not? And when some of the headhunters were calling, I, I really thought long and hard as I was going into this thinking, what, what are my favorite roles and what would be my requirements if I went back into a, another tech role? And the most important thing for me is I wanted to be in, in a B2C business. I love being in an environment where I can really, I really understand and know what the customer needs and wants. And, you know, maybe I'm one segment of our customer, but it, it does help when you see both their pain points and what makes the brand super, you know, exciting and, and a brand we love. And so for me, it, it's important and it's also important for my team. So um, at Christmas and during the holidays, you know, not just Christmas, but the, the broader holidays, my team goes to the stores and we help out, whether it's stocking shelves or whether it's fulfillment from the stores or um, we work a cash register if you're trained in that. And I think it, it provides tremendous value in terms of then them helping the overall organization be successful and making the customer journey a better experience. Very interesting. And so much of what you've described, um, I know is also uh, sort of uh, walks on the shoulders of some key elements of modernization that you and your team have also focused mm -hmm. on. That, yeah. I mean, any organization, again, as storied and, and long of tenure as Macy's is, will have room for, for modernization, especially in technology, needless to say. Can you talk a bit about some of the elements that you've introduced as part of that modernization activity? Yeah, well, the first 
and probably the most challenging for any CIO is first getting the uh, capital investment to do that. <laughs> so I think uh, I could probably share war stories with many of my uh, colleagues in this in in these roles to say how do how do you get that investment? And uh, I think a lot of it uh, does go back to the storytelling. But fortunately, when I had walked in, um, there was uh, the case had already been made to invest. We had a uh, we established our Polaris strategy in twenty. 19. Um, and the sixth pillar of our Polaris strategy was to enable a transformation. And we realized that part of our transformation journey was going to be modernizing our tech stack. Um, so we have invested in our digital experience, um, lots of investment in terms of making our e-commerce site uh, more effective, more efficient, a better customer experience, easier transactions, um, better imagery, better searches. Um, and we've partnered with the likes of um, Google to help with that. Um, we've also moved to the cloud. So a lot of investment in transforming from a predominantly on-prem in a, in a data center with a mainframe moving to a um, cloud first type of environment. And that's helped us scale tremendously. Um, as you know, retail is a very seasonal type of business. And as you can imagine, if I had on-prem data centers, what I would have to do to have that capacity to be able to meet the needs and the demand over the holiday, and then what would I do with it the rest of the year? Um, so at least we're fortunate enough now to have partners where we can scale up and meet that demand, and then we ramp back down when we don't need it. Um, so that was a huge, a huge lift. We're also modernizing our entire warehouse tech stack, everything from um, autonomous devices within the warehouse to um, automation and getting goods to person versus person to the goods, um, and the entire underlying tech stack in terms of pick, pack, and ship. So that's been a big one. We're also investing in our stores. So all new Wi-Fi. So hopefully our customers won't see any dead spots because, you know, in a mall and these big, big uh, buildings with the basements, you often walk in your own basement and you have a, a dead cell. And so we're enhancing all of that, but we're also enhancing the colleague experience with all new point of sales that will ultimately then enable our customer to do self-checkout. So I don't think there's a facet of our business that we are not modernizing the tech stack, but the way we've done this is we've really prioritized against what's adding the highest business value and looking at all of it through an ROI lens, whether it's an ROI for the colleague, an ROI for the customer, or an ROI from an operating expense standpoint. Yeah, very, very interesting. And and sounds like a pretty expansive transformation that you're leading, to say the least. Um, I, I wanted to also ask you about personalization. We talked a bit about, again, mm. customer experience and Absolutely. the 360 degree view of that customer. You just talked about uh, among the ways in which you prioritize is ROI for the customer as well. And, you know, elements like self-checkout and so on. T talk a bit about the way in which you you think about bringing greater degrees of personalization to your customers. How is that brought to life, Laura? Yeah, so this is one of our five growth pillars that we're focused on right now is how do we increase and improve the personalization for the customer? And this is probably one of the most exciting parts of the journey because I'm a customer as well. So I love to actually experience and see how good we're getting at this. 
um, it, it starts actually from the first time you log in to our digital uh, system or our e-commerce site. And if you've been there before and we know who you are, we start personalizing the different recommendations at the bottom of the page. So you'll see different images. So maybe the last time you came in, maybe you had a new baby and you bought um, some baby clothes and we would display some other items within the, within the kids uh, area that you might be interested in, or maybe something from the Toys R Us space that you might be interested in that relates. Um, so that's one thing. And we've been doing this for a long time, but the recommendation engine continues to enhance and improve. And we're storing and keeping more of the um, history of what you've done on our site and with us in the store so that we can provide better recommendations. So that's one area. Um, another area is the search engine. So we use the Google customer retail search engine to power our search. And what's great about that is it also tracks what you've searched for and what you've clicked on so that again we can prioritize what you're seeing in your search results so if you were to peter if you were to go out and look for men's polo shirts it might know that you bought these three polos last time and then put those polo shirts up first just to give you other options in that same um, style or maybe in different color schemes. So those are the two basic ones that really drive a lot of our um, customer experience and our, our conversion and our click-through rates. But now then we're also reaching out to the customer proactively with personalized offers. So where we used to just say everyone gets the same offer, you all get a friends and family discount, we're really thinking about how can we make that a more personalized offer. You may not be interested in, I don't know, a pair of um, Levi's, but maybe you'd like a pair of Alfani jeans and we know that you love that brand. So instead of giving you a coupon for everything, we would specifically give you a coupon for Alfani. Um, we would also then, if we see that maybe you bought a, a new handbag last week, maybe next week's coupon would be, here's 10% off of a pair of shoes that would go with that handbag. And really thinking about how can we continue to win the customer love by knowing what they like, and then also helping to inspire them into new areas and new spaces. Um, I, we're finding some great results with this. We're finding um, that our customers are, actually utilizing these offers more than they would even just the, the broad-based promotions that we've done historically. Um, so a lot more to come. We're, we're just in the beginning of these personalized offers and we're testing through this, but we hope that we're really going to be able to ramp it up next year and really not just get personalized in offers, but then get personalized in the inspiration we're going to offer you. Um, you know, part of the fun of being in retail fashion is that there's so, and even other categories like home, um, there's so much opportunity to inspire our customers. And so the next phase of this would be, how do we get you past promotion and get you into inspiration so that you come to us to look for that inspiration and then hopefully, obviously convert. Uh, I really like that. And as I think about the intersection between what you've just described and the earlier data elements you also talked about, there must be sort of an artificial intelligence or machine learning backbone to a lot of what you're, you're breathing life into here as well. Can you talk about those elements, if you would? 
Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of um, AI in the process really around customer modeling. So understanding the propensity of a customer to buy, understanding when a customer may be falling off from their buying and purchasing patterns with us, as well as trying to target which customers are going to utilize the offers that we send out to them. So there's a lot of AI in that space. Um, the big heavy lift though, in this entire journey has been our MarTech stack. So the entire marketing stack, um, like many companies, you know, we've, we had a lot of homegrown, we had our data in various places, um, our digital asset, our, our dam was, you know, pretty legacy. And so there's been a lot of heavy lifting to modernize that tech stack and then apply the AI tools with this to pull it all together. And then ultimately, we should be able to even use AI to help us select what images that you we believe you'd like to see. So maybe you'd get a different image for a marketing for you know a man, man, man's blazer. I would get a different image for a female blazer when I get that promo. So, you know, there's going to be a lot more to come in terms of how do we pair the AI up with the personalization. But like any tech um, implementation, the, it is a journey and it's something that we have to incrementally test and learn from and keep applying it, figure out what worked and didn't work, and then take the next steps. It's a great overview there. I wanted to ask you also, I mentioned in my introduction, you're on the boards, uh, board of a couple of different organizations, EVO Payments and LGI Homes. Uh, and I wanted to ask you a bit about your journey to becoming a board leader. It's a still a fairly exclusive club that you're a member of, uh, CIOs who are members of boards. Thankfully, a, a club, uh, the, 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 the door of which is, is opening a bit wider. Uh, but for yeah. others who aspire to walk in your footsteps, Laura, um, what advice would you offer, perhaps uh, told uh, through some of the processes you use in order to garner these invitations for board membership? Yes. Well, let me start with first letting you know that I'm former board member for both of those. So um, with LGI Homes, um, I had to leave them when I joined Macy's uh, because it, it's just too much to have two boards and a full-time job. So <laughs> I had to pick one. Um, and EVO Payments, I am very proud to say that we closed a deal with Global Payments this past April. And um, that entire company is now a part of Global Payments. Um, but the good news is, is very shortly here, there'll be a new announcement um, about an upcoming board that I'll be joining. Um, very exciting. So yeah, transitioning from those to a new one and super excited about the new opportunity. Um, you know, getting on a board is definitely a journey, especially for a CIO. Um, and, I would say it used to be even more so for a female CIO, um, but the good news is, is I think you know with all the diversity that we're looking for in our boards, some of those barriers have actually gotten a little easier to overcome. Um, you know, getting on a board takes first off a brand, and you have to build your brand, and you have to know what your brand is. Um, and I'm fairly confident in my brand as a, obviously as a CIO, but even more so with a business hat. So what I pride myself in is my ability to leverage technology 
to grow the business and solve business problems. And so I'm always taking the lens of how is this going to help the business and what is it going to do to my balance sheet and to my revenue? And, and if you think like that, you're a step ahead, right? You can't just be thinking as a technologist when you walk into a board. Um, I also have my master's in, you know, in, um, computer systems management, which is a lot, it's, it's a mini MBA with a lot of tech around it. And, um, you know, you really need that kind of background when you're sitting in there. And a lot of what you do is looking at financial statements and understanding what levers you can pull in that business. And I've spent a lot of time in that space and making sure I understand what makes um, a, a healthy balance sheet and what the investors are going to be looking for and what they care about and what they want to see. So those are a couple things that I think about in terms of my brand. Um, from a CIO standpoint, I think, you know, especially right now, we've got an advantage. Digital transformation. Every single company is talking about it. And I think the CIO is best positioned in terms of helping a board understand that journey and how would they get through it? What should they be looking at from an investment standpoint? Um, I also think that because of the importance of data and analytics, I think that um, that is another place where CIOs can play a huge part. And especially now with us going into more of a, a AI and ML world, um, and what we can bring to the table and helping companies, again, connect those dots as to where that technology can bring value. Now, so I've got the brand, I've got all the background, everything's teed up, but now you still have to get on a board. <laughs> and that's where the fun begins. Um, and a lot of it's your network. Um, and it starts out you know, with who do you know and staying in touch with people and making people aware that you are actually looking for this opportunity. And I started out the basic way. I started out with letting all my recruiter friends know that this is what I was doing and I was really interested in it. And then all of a sudden I was on this very crooked road to get there. I, um, I ended up doing an interview for a potential board position here in Atlanta with Ryan Holmes. Didn't work out, they picked someone else. But then when LGI Holmes was looking for a board member, he reached out to the CEO of Ryan Holmes who happened to give him my name. The next thing I know, I'm on LGI Homes Board. Um, so you just never know how it's going to happen and what those connections are going to be, but you've got to, you have got to rely on your network and talking to the people around you who had those relationships to open those doors. That's really great advice, Laura. Appreciate that overview. Uh, and, and we'll stay tuned as to that, that next board appointment. <laughs> Very exciting news. Uh, I wanted to ask you also, as you look to the future, we've talked about a number of, of important trends from data and analytics to artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, the various elements of, of personalization, just to name a few within this conversation. Anything else as you look to the future uh, that, that, that particularly excites you that you'd like to underscore? Um, you know, there are a couple different things when I think about specifically technology in the Macy's world. Um, obviously the Gen AI I think is going to really help us in a lot of different ways, but where I see the biggest opportunity for the near-term future, maybe in the next two years, is really looking at the um, large language models, the LLMs. And how do I use that 
to help our customers and how do I use it to help our colleagues? I mean, we've all been in a world where you've got your company intranet and you do a search and you get 50 million links come up and you have to read through all the documents. Um, and so one of the, the first places that I'm looking to pilot is really around how do I make that a better colleague experience? And what can we do there? That obviously then translates over to our call center colleagues, our customer care colleagues. And how do I give them that same LLM capability so that when they're looking up questions that our customers have, they get a response back in, a, in English and natural language as opposed to here are the five links that have the answers. Um, once we get that tested out and we're really confident in the answers that the, um, the customer call center colleagues are getting, then I can put all that into our chat and our online chat and then our customers can get those answers. And, you know, it just it will continue to grow and develop and mature and we'll be able to expand the use of it. So super excited about that. Um, you know, another area that's kind of interesting is, and it really ties together for me, is IoT along with 5G. So, you know, IoT has been around for a while. We've been talking about it for a while, but a lot of the IoT devices use a lot of network bandwidth. And network bandwidth is, you know, at a premium and a high cost. And 5G can, I think, has the potential for us to use more IoT and Bluetooth in places we couldn't before. So today, RFID tags are, we have it on probably 90% of our merchandise. But an RFID tag requires me to walk around the store, have a robot walk around the store with a sensor to identify where they all are and for me to be able to do my inventory. If I could go to a Bluetooth style RFID that can constantly ping a WAP that will be able to provide me real-time inventory, not only will I know my real-time inventory, but then when a customer walks in the store and they go, I want that polo shirt, I can tell them exactly where it is in the store and geolocate them to that item. I can't do it today because of the fact that it's too expensive to have those devices and it's too expensive to have those devices talking over the network. So that's a, a really exciting space that I'm thinking about. Um, and then the last part, which I touched on a little bit, is really around the um, autonomous systems and what can that do to help us with our throughput and um, our speed of delivery in terms of pickpacking and shipping. So I think those are like the three areas that I'm excited about for Macy's um, on top of all the things we're already doing. There's quite a lot there. Certainly, uh, I'm sure we'll see evidence of all the above before long. I wanted to uh, close, Laura, with a question about your the, the secrets to your success on mm -hmm. your pathway to becoming uh, now a chief information officer multiple times over a uh, tech executive across multiple scaled organizations. You know, as you reflect on your journey, what have been some of the, the the secrets to that, the difference makers along the way that have helped your ascent? Yeah, there are so many that, uh, you know, it's like when you do your acceptance speech, you, your list of people to thank along the way is so long, you know, you're going to miss some uh, as you go through this. But, um, you know, it started with my family. My dad was a CIO and a technologist, and I am, uh, I really am eternally grateful for him, to him for what he did in exposing me to technology. I mean, I was 
I was six, seven years old and in front of a card punch machine. And, um, you know, I think about where we are today with women entering STEM fields and how that's consistently going down year over year and women entering STEM STEM programs in college are consistently going down. And so much of it has to do with a lack of exposure early on in life. So, you know, it obviously started there. Um, I would say it, it, a lot of it has to do with the great people I did have around me, whether it was um, leaders who believed in me, leaders who coached and mentored me, um, leaders who invested in me with executive coaches and learning and development. That's all been a lar- large part of it. Obviously, having great teams and building great teams makes a difference, too. Um, you are only as successful as the people that you surround yourself with. And I've been very fortunate to have people, including in this role, that have come with me from other places. And, uh, you know, I've got a great, great group of um, leaders in my team that continue to help me be successful in my role. Um, You know, I think the other thing that just in terms of me and who I am, um, hard work is a part of it and a lot of personal sacrifices along the way. I mean, you, you work hard, you're giving up things that, um, you know, you sometimes see friends and family and you go, gosh, I wish I could go play golf on that day or that afternoon or something. And, you know, there are sacrifices when you have a role this big and things that you just choose to do. Um, and, and then I think another interesting part of my background is I've been, I've been industry agnostic in terms of I've been in financial services and very different, you know, anything from brokerage to payments to legal collections. I've been in hospitality and now retail. And I think what I can do because of that is I can take what I've learned in each of them and what's best about each of them and as well as what I learned not to do and apply that to the next business. And so I almost walk in with kind of a consulting uh, background even more so than just a pure I'm only retail or I'm only hospitality or any industry. So I think that's helped me in my success. Now it makes it a little harder in the ramp up when you first start a new job, but it certainly helps you in terms of bringing the best to the organization. Yeah, that's a great great reflections, Laura. I really appreciate that. Well, Laura Miller, thank you for a really stimulating conversation, reflective of your vast experience uh, and, and the remarkable transformation you're leading at Macy's. Uh, you've given us a lot to not only think about, but a lot to look forward to uh, as we see some of these innovations come to light. Thank you so much for, for speaking with me today. Uh, thank you for the opportunity, Peter. It's always great to talk to you and uh, try to think about great responses to your intellectual questions. So <laughs> I appreciate it and I look forward to us connecting again sometime. I look forward to it as well. Thank you.